Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Geek Pod. Today we're talking about the ham radio hobby, also known as amateur radio. Now, why do they call it ham radio? These guys talking about ham sandwiches? No, that's not it. And that bad joke has been going around for probably 75 years. The reason they call it ham radio, going way, way, way back in time, we're probably talking about like the 1910s or thereabout, when the whole radio thing was in its infancy. It was some crazy far-fetched idea that I can send a signal through the airwaves. The only guys that were experimenting with radio were hobbyists, technicians, techies, nerds of the time. They were the ones experimenting with it. And by the same token, there was people transmitting, there was people receiving. There was people building receivers that wanted to hear what these crazy guys that were transmitting were doing. So you had people that would set up transmitters and do little radio shows, much like pirate radio uh they would play music off of a victrola or what have you and that's where the name ham radio came from because another old term to throw in there is the ham term a ham is um, a wannabe actor it's it's old school uh slang for a wannabe actor a, a, a new actor that uh you know he's it's trying to learn the ropes. That's a ham. So you combine the uh, I want to be a show producer with I want to have a radio station. And that's where you got the whole ham radio thing from. And the name has stuck ever since. Now, eventually the government stepped in and said, hey, all you radio people, you guys all need licenses. And what they did is they pushed all the hobbyists into a section of frequencies that was supposed to be no good. And this is, by this time, we already had like NBC, uh, you know, RCA was uh, involved with radio, CBS, uh, Westinghouse, Western Electric, they all had uh, radio stations up. So the big shots didn't want these little guys doing their, their thing. Sound familiar, huh? And um, they pushed them all to a bunch of frequencies that was supposed to be like no man's land. They were worthless. And the ham radio guys made the best of it. And they figured out that, hey, the radio signals over here skip on the atmosphere. I just talked to a guy on the other side of the country on my, my little radio here. And all of a sudden, boom, the hobby blew up. So people wanted to talk to individuals on other parts of the planet, other parts of the country. So the frequencies that they were given, which were supposed to be useless, turned out to be very good. And lo and behold, down the road, government took some of the stuff back. But by that time, the hobby had grown and was well entrenched. So... We've had the amateur radio hobby around since the dawn of radio, uh, since 1910s or thereabouts. Uh, there's been people playing on the radio. Hobby's been around for a very, very long time. Now, it used to be a cutting-edge hobby because all the latest and greatest technology was 
coming up in communications is coming up through ham radio people through the ham radio hobby there was a lot of cool developments that came through the amateur radio hobby but that was back in the day nowadays we don't think anything about picking up a cell phone and facetiming somebody on the other side of the planet it's not a big deal and it's kind of hard to accept that there was a point in time where simply making a phone call to the other side of the planet was unheard of. Uh, it was darn near impossible. And if you could do it, it was extremely expensive. Now you could do it for free. So the ham radio hobby in itself is no longer a cutting-edge high-tech hobby. It's more like a hobby for people that like to play around with radio and technical equipment, know how to put it together, possibly experiment with it, you are allowed to experiment on the ham radio bands. Now, what could you get out of this hobby? Well, if you're a geek and you like to play around with technical equipment, man, there's a lot of techie equipment in the ham radio world, and there's a lot of things that you could do. One of the things, which I had just mentioned uh, earlier, was skip. Propagation. Depending what frequencies you're on, there are certain frequencies that amateur radio operators are allowed to use that will actually skip off the atmosphere, and then they land back down on Earth. Sometimes it's kind of predictable where they're going to land. Sometimes it's not. But your station in, let's say, I'm in South Florida, might catch skip and land in China. Or it could just be on the other coast. Maybe I'll talk to somebody in California, Brazil, England. Uh, it depends on what the atmospheric conditions are. There are computer programs that let you kind of figure out, depending on the frequency and which way your antenna is pointing and all that, where you might end up talking to. But it's not 100% reliable. So that's part of the fun. So you could do... the skip thing there's also other modes there's people that talk to folks in other parts of the world via amateur radio satellites yes they exist the ham radio guys have their own satellites up there there's also ham radio equipment on the international space station and not only is it talk but there's also different modes of communication you can experiment in amateur radio you could do regular voice, like we're doing right now. You're listening to me talking to you. Uh, you could do Morse code. You could do video, both analog and digital. You could communicate via satellites, which I just mentioned, and that could be via analog or digital. There's multiple digital voice formats. There are digital data formats that allow you to send files. So there are multiple modes of communication that are open to amateur radio operators. The hobby itself is a worldwide thing. Now, different countries have different regulations, different regulating bodies, different license classes. But thankfully, there is some crossover. There is an international organization that tries to get everybody lined up on the same frequencies so amateur radio operators from all over the world have somewhere where they can talk to each other there's some crossover on the frequencies that they're allowed to talk on 
Now let's move on a, a little bit more into the experimentation on radio thing. Your your FCC license as an amateur radio operator allows you to build your own radios, build your own equipment, build your own antennas. And if you really, really want to get cutting edge, there are ways for to apply for experimental licenses uh, for certain things. They want that because that's what's going to foster innovation. You can't do that on any other radio service. Like if you go get a commercial radio license, you will not be experimenting with your equipment. You will not be building your equipment. But if you have an amateur radio license, you're allowed to do these things as long as your equipment meets certain standards of quality. So if you're at an engineering level and you like to build technical stuff, uh, the amateur radio hobby might be your thing. Now let's move on to one of the biggest attractions to amateur radio in current day. Emergency preparedness. It's been a long, long known fact that hams are the first people to get on the air after a disaster. And to this day, there's still truth to that. Uh, you see it whenever a hurricane wipes a place out particularly in the Caribbean, for example, that the first communications off the island are some ham radio guy that managed to get his equipment back together and get a piece of wire up in a tree and talk to somebody and, hey, I'm alive. The emergency preparedness aspect is a very, very good benefit of amateur radio because in the hobby you learn how to be self-sufficient you learn how to make the best out of what you got you you learn how to be a MacGyver with radio equipment and that is something that's a very very useful skill nowadays you can't always expect the government to be there to help you out so it's an it's a nice bonus that you have your own stuff you're self-sufficient and you can get on the air without the aid of the internet or any government entity. So the emergency preparedness aspect has been a big push in the ham radio community lately. Now, why use ham radio? You might be saying, well, I got a cell phone. What the heck do I need this radio stuff for? Or uh, I got a Starlink satellite on my roof. What do I need ham radio for? Well... Going back to the self-reliance, your cell phone connects to a cell phone tower. And that tower connects to the rest of the world, typically through some kind of fiber optic cables, and all of this runs on power. Uh, if you have a big natural disaster, it's going to be no power. Eventually, the cell sites will run out of battery. They'll fall on their face and die. The equipment cabinets that maintain the fiber optic communications from the telephone company. They need power. They will fall on their face and die once the batteries quit. And that's if any of the stuff is still standing. Top of that, whatever is working is going to be saturated by users. So this is where the self-reliance comes in. If you have a bunch of friends all around you that are in the amateur radio hobby and something bad happens you get hit by a major hurricane earthquake what have you 
there will be a way for you to communicate providing you made it through the disaster. If you could find your stuff, if you have any of your radio equipment that was in protective cases, what have you, you can have a field kit in a protective box. If you're into the whole prepper thing, you're going to have some kind of field equipment for any emergency. You can have a complete ham radio setup in something the size of a small suitcase, ready to go. And you can set that thing up outdoors, get an antenna up in the air, and get on the air, and there's going to be somebody out there that's going to respond to you. So the self-reliance is a real big sell. The prepper community has embraced amateur radio uh, in a big way, along with uh, GMRS. GMRS is another radio service that's out there, but it's kind of limited. Uh, amateur radio opens up thousands of frequencies to you and uh, many different bands, many different ways to communicate, which the other services do not. So the prepper community has really embraced amateur radio. Are there other ways to communicate? Yes, but they all rely on infrastructure. Ham radio doesn't have a, a reliance on infrastructure. There are aspects of the hobby that take advantage of the internet. But by and large, most of it is completely self-sufficient. It's just you, an antenna, the airwaves, and the other person that you're talking to. Now, one more aspect of amateur radio that's kind of cool. And it's kind of funny how this has worked out. There's all this stuff out there in the news about how we're being spied on by our phone. And I didn't believe any of that myself until one day I took a frequency counter, uh, a bug detector type of thing, and I put it next to my cell phone. And I noticed the thing was chirping when I would make noise. So I found somewhere quiet in the house and I put the bug detector next to my phone. And every time I would tap the phone, the bug detector would chirp. It's like, would you look at that? My microphone is live, even though I'm not making a phone call. There's a lot of concerns about our devices eavesdropping on us. You know, the phone, even though it says the phone is off and it says the GPS is off, do you really believe it? I don't know. I, I, I don't. But anyways, it's kind of funny how radio communication that is out in the open might have become more private than your high-dollar cell phone connected to a multi-million dollar network. So, <laughs> in a way, your, your ham radio communication could possibly be more quiet than the conversation you're having in your house while your Alexa box is sitting there in the corner listening to you. But... That's just a totally different path. So let's get back on the topic here. All right, so you're interested in ham radio and you want to get a license. Okay, there's three different types of licenses. You have a technician, you have a general, and you have an extra class. So technician class, general class, extra class. Each one has a technical examination that you have to pass. And you have to do them in order. You have to get the tech, you have to get the general, and then you have to get the extra. Well, you don't have to get all three, but you have to go in order if you want to get all three. 
There's plenty of people out there that get the tech, and that's it. They're happy. And, of course, there's a lot of these old-timers. When are you going to upgrade your license? Well, maybe I don't want to. Maybe I don't care to. And that's perfectly fine, man. You do what you want. This is a hobby. So you have the technician, the general, and the extra class. You can take all three, or you can stop wherever you like. You can get the tech and sit there and be a tech the rest of your life. You could be a general the rest of your life. I have a general class, so I'm pretty happy with it. Or you can get the extra class. What's the difference? Frequency privileges. The higher license class you have, the more frequency privileges you have. Think of it like... Um, the uh, members only situation. So you go to a restaurant and there's the uh, everybody's welcome side. And then there's a VIP section that only the VIPs can get in. And then there's like the members only VIP ultra special section. Think of it that way. So you can progress through the ranks and get the highest level license, which is the extra. Or you can sit there and be a technician class. Whatever, it's fine. The procedure is pretty similar. You go to a test session. You take the test. If you pass the test, within a couple of days, you will get your amateur radio license. How do you study? Okay. There's an organization called the ARRL. American Radio Relay League. They've been around since, uh, I believe, either 1915 or 1917. And they are the face of amateur radio uh, as far as any kind of uh, lobbying or anything like that is concerned with the government. They have been the ones to protect the frequencies and everything for us all this time. The ARRL does a lot of good things. Uh, the ARRL on their website has plenty of study material so you can study to take the test. You can learn about amateur radio, so forth. Another way to do it, if you go on Google and you type in your city and state and amateur radio club, you might get a hit on local amateur radio clubs. Some amateur radio clubs offer classes where you can go in and learn about ham radio and at the same time study to take your test. Another way to do it, if you are already somewhat gifted in the techie aspect, uh, there's a website called Ham Study. And what it has is it has practice tests for the three license classes. So you can sit there and take the practice test over and over and over until you memorize the answers. Now, I know there's some people out there that'll be saying, oh, that's the wrong way. Well, look, we don't all learn the same way. And some of us rather get into something and learn as we go than sit there and try to read all this technical material without ever getting our hands on a radio. Different people learn different ways, and there shouldn't be any shame in how you choose to study. Whatever works for you, do it. And if you run into one of these uh, negative Nancys, 
Oh, that's not how you study. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And you walk away and you go work with somebody that is willing to help you in the method that works for you. At the end of the day, we all take the same tests and we all have to answer similar questions so we can all have the same license. So you do it however it is that works for you. Don't be ashamed of it. But those are the three ways that you can study. Now, the HAM study thing and the ARRL study information, they all have apps. There's stuff on the web that you can access, so forth. There's a multitude of information out there. It all depends on how you want to do it. And if the whole Internet thing is just not you, you need to do it in person, look for a local amateur radio club and drop them a line. Shoot them an email. Hey, I want to get my HAM license. Uh, I need help, and somebody will get back to you and work with you. Now, let's say you did the whole studying thing. You're ready to go. You did it on your own. Where are you going to take the test? All right. Back to Google. Look for your local ham radio club and drop them a line. Most ham radio clubs either have amateur radio testing on site or work with somebody who does it. The other option is you can now take your amateur radio test online. Last time I checked, you had to have a cell phone with a camera and your computer has to have a camera because they want to watch you while you take the test to make sure you don't cheat. Fair enough. But you can do it all online now, which is really cool. So that is an option. You don't have to go anywhere. Now let's move on. What about the gear? The stuff? I got this license. I need stuff. Since this hobby is well over 100 years old, there's plenty of used equipment on the market. And the used equipment, man, it covers like everything from the dawn of technology. You have the simplest vacuum tube radio receivers to the most modern uh, computer-based radio equipment. If there was some kind of technology in existence, somebody made a radio with it. Because radio and technology, uh, they go hand in hand. At one point in time, technology was radio. So you have gear going back a year, going back a 100 years out there. There's plenty of choices for new and used. What to get? Well, unless you already know how to work on vintage equipment, buying a vintage piece of radio equipment to try to fix uh, is not the wisest idea. Ham radio gear can be very complicated. If you're going to buy used, make sure it's from a reliable source, guaranteed to work. There's some kind of understanding that, hey, if this don't work, I can return it. Otherwise, new is the way to go. Now, this hobby is also a hobby that can be very cheap or it can be really expensive. If you go back, say, 30 years, a handheld radio could easily cost you three, $400. Now, thanks to um, the way the Chinese can reproduce everything, I could buy a brand new handheld 
radio that does the ham radio frequencies for VHF and UHF. I could buy that uh, radio for about $30. So the prices of the equipment have gone down in a certain way. But you could still spend thousands if you're not careful. How much is it going to cost you to get into the hobby? Well, if you buy one of those Chinese handheld radios, that's going to get you on the VHF and UHF parts of the amateur radio hobby and get you on what is called the local repeaters. And you're going to spend like 30 bucks. Your experience is going to be very limited because you only have a handheld radio with a little walkie-talkie antenna. And it's going to be limited to who is immediately around you or if there's something called a repeater around you. A repeater is nothing more than an antenna on top of a building or antenna tower that covers a wide area. And it listens on a certain frequency. And whatever it hears, it retransmits over a wider area on another frequency. If you happen to have a repeater near you and all you have is one of those walkie-talkie radios, you can get into the hobby. There'll be people to talk to. Now, if you want to get into the part of the hobby where you're talking to people in other countries or maybe on the other side of the U.S. or what have you, then you're going to be spending more money. I suggest that you find your local amateur radio club, see where they meet, and go over there and introduce yourself. Uh, Hi, I'm interested in learning about ham radio, and I want to see some of the equipment and, you know, talk to somebody who knows about equipment and so forth. There'll be somebody there who can help you out. Now, what about the Chinese stuff? Chinese radio equipment has flooded the market. Some of it is garbage. Some of it is actually pretty decent. The opinions vary. There are people that hate it just because it's Chinese. And not because it's bad. It's just, oh, it's Chinese garbage. But the radios work fine. Oh, but it's Chinese garbage. There are negative Nancys in every hobby. You run into somebody that no matter what radio you show, oh, it's Chinese garbage. Go talk to somebody else. Don't waste your time with that person. Find somebody who's going to give you an honest, unbiased opinion. There is decent Chinese equipment out there does it compare to the stuff from the big well-known brands eh, it always falls short somewhere but the price definitely does the price is definitely a lot smaller so it's worth looking into some of the chinese equipment once again find the local amateur radio club you know find out when their meetings are the meetings are generally open and go talk to somebody Go talk to somebody in there. Look at what people have hanging from their hip pocket. They'll all be carrying a walkie-talkie of some kind. Look and see what they're carrying. There'll be people carrying very expensive radios. There'll be people carrying Chinese radios. Uh, Look and see what people recommend. All right, finally, moving on. Who are you going to find on this ham radio hobby? People from all walks of life. There are actors that are hams, uh, Walter Cronkite, the newscaster, uh, was on there. If you're, if you're at least uh, 30, 40 years old, you know who he is. Everybody in the world knew who he was back then. Now he's slowly faded into obscurity because he passed away. Uh, you've, you've had actors, politicians, comedians, musicians. You've had all kinds of people, astronauts. 
and you also have Joe the plumber next door and Bert the farmer in Iowa. You have people from all walks of life. And the one thing that they have in common is they're all interested in the radio hobby. They have some kind of interest in technology and in self-reliance and self-sufficiency. So there's always interesting topics to talk about. People from all over the world in this hobby, which makes it very interesting because you never know who you're going to run into. Now, just like any other hobby, there's friendly people and there's grouchy people. So if you get into this hobby and the first person you run into is some old fart that's ripping you up because you said something you weren't supposed to, don't take it to heart. You know what? It's, thank you. Have a nice day. And um, go to another frequency. Don't let people like that pull you down. There are people who are grouches in every hobby and every aspect of everything that we do. If you run into one of those people who has nothing better to do but to pick on you or, or make you feel dumb, uh, just let them sit there and fester in their own misery. Spin the dial and smile and go somewhere else where you hear another interesting conversation and jump in. This hobby is known for its camaraderie and friendly people. Uh, yes, there are occasional grouches, but those exist in just about every single hobby on the planet. So if you run into one of those people, please don't be... Uh, one of those new hams that gets run off and puts the radio in a drawer and says, to heck with this, this is a waste of time. No, those kind of people are not, a, are not an example of what this hobby is all about. So if you run into a grouch, spin the dial and smile and find another conversation to jump in on, and you are going to find your niche. You're going to find cool people to talk to, interesting people to talk to, it's going to be a fun hobby. Trust me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this answered uh, most or all of the questions that somebody would have about ham radio. If you still got some other questions, please feel free to check out our website. It's sflarc.org, which stands for South Florida Latin Amateur Radio Club.org.